We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have like a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. is going on pacer nation welcome back to another episode here of setting the pace on pacerstalk.net i am your host for today's show alex golden and joining me as always my great co-host mike Fachi. Fachi, what's going on brother nothing much i had a great thanksgiving but these pacers they just keep giving to us 13 and 7 best record since 2013 2014 alex what do we have to complain about today well, I mean, if you want to go back to that Philadelphia game, we can complain about some stuff. But Ooh. if you want to try to keep it positive, we can look at that win Which last night in Memphis. So let's let's recap last night's win. So honestly, you know, a, a game that just felt like no atmosphere. The arena was horrible. There was no fans in attendance. John Morant's out. You know, Jonas Valanciunas is out. Kyle Anderson's out. Brandon Clark's Brandon out. Brandon Clark. Mm-hmm. You know, so all these guys are out for – Memphis, I mean, I can't really feel bad for him because the Pacers have had several injuries all season long and no Oladipo. So, I mean, really, Memphis fans were like, what are we going to go watch? Jaron Jackson Jr. versus a well-balanced Pacers team? Like, that's not the most exciting thing to do on a Monday night in Memphis. So, understandably, the crowd was terrible, but the Pacers fought their way through, win the game 117-104. What were your thoughts on the game? Look, Alex, I'm no hunter, but this grizzly was wounded, all right? And the Pacers (laughs) went in for the kill. All right, that is exactly what they did. Memphis had, you know, they were depleted last night. Jaron Jackson played another great game against us. But the Pacers, seven players in double figures. 
shot over 50%. It was a game that, that just the Pacers, they wanted to bounce back after the drama in Philly, and I thought no one bounced back more than Miles Turner. 17-6, and six, was active at the free throw line, going 6 for 7. It was a great bounce-back performance for Turner. You could tell the guys were really trying to feed him the ball there early to start mm-hmm. the game off with. Solomon Hill was guarding him in the post, and you know Quinn Buckner loves to reference the mouse in the house comment there when Turner goes against <laughs> yeah. forwards. I don't understand why he said that against Ben Simmons when they're pretty much the same height and size. But regardless, he said that again with Solomon Hill. And, and Solo had no chance trying to stop Turner's shot. I mean, Turner was just shooting right over him, looked really good. But, mm-hmm. you know, I hate to say it, but Solomon Hill played probably his best game of the season last night, putting up around 22 points, I think it was. So the Pacers, was. Front, the Pacers front court, I hate to say it, but they got outplayed last night. Turner and Sabonis yeah. got outplayed by Jaron Jackson Jr. and Solomon Hill. But, you know, at the end of the day, the game was just well-balanced for the Pacers on the scoring attack. So, uh, But Sabonis had a really nice game as well. But, yeah, Turner, you mentioned it. Great to see him go out there and get some points after the game that he had in Philadelphia. Good to see him getting back on track and getting his numbers up a little bit so people aren't going to be on him. And then, uh, of course, Sabonis almost had a triple-double last night. What was his total stat line there again, Fachi? 18 points, 14 rebounds, 8 assists. 8 assists. So Sabonis really, you know, the ball movement has been great from him. Also, the Pacers over 30 assists in the game. The ball movement is key when you end up shooting 50%. You're getting guys open looks. Uh, I know Sabonis fouled out towards the end. Would have been nice to see him get that triple-double, but, you know, he would have needed about two more assists in the final minute. Wasn't going to happen when you're up, you know, 15 or so. Right, and then Malcolm Brogdon led all play, all all players, excuse me, there in scoring with 19 points. He had nine assists himself, led the team in assist, and a guy that was just on fire from beyond the arc. It was not Doug McDermott, but it was Justin Holiday going five for seven from the three point line, putting up 15 points. He ended up playing more minutes than than T.J. Warren, who started off the game hot. And you know, Fachi, this is where I want to call you out on something. What do you got? T.J. Warren's going off. You go all on Twitter. Oh, I feel it's going to be a T.J. Warren game. About to be yeah. a T.J. Warren game. And yep. he finishes the game with 14 points. But that is what I said. Yes, I could, you can potentially put that blame on me because I don't know if he scored after that. Exactly. That it's the Fachi jinx. Maybe. But that he man was earlier sizzling. this year. Th- these thumbs couldn't help themselves. I had to fire that tweet off. Well, he was cooking. Well, let's let's just bring up some old Fachi jinxes. You also said for about three or four weeks that Jeremy Lamb was going to be the leading scorer on opening night, and what's he do? He gets injured and only scores 10 lousy points. You, you pick Miles Turner first in the Pacers fantasy draft. and he uh, was, I did not. You picked Sabonis. No, you first. picked Miles Turner's first on your team is what I'm saying. You could have had Brogdon, you could have had T.J. Warren, you could have had anybody else besides Simonis, you could have had Oladipo. You picked Turner, and Turner has not had a great season, and I'm I'm blaming the Fachi Jinx. Absolutely not. Still got Brogdon, couldn't pick Oladipo because he was hurt. My team would be doing worse than it's doing now, but hey, Miles Turner, if you need to shift the blame somewhere, then I'm man enough to take it, all right? the only good luck that Fachi has gotten from this whole NBA season is the rebirth of Carmelo Anthony, okay, ladies and gentlemen? That is the only good luck that Fachi has had. Now he needs to let that go and give his luck back to the Pacers because anytime Fachi tweets something out, 
oh, Sabonis is about to break the rebound record for this. Oh, Sabonis isn't getting another rebound. I mean, yeah. every time Fachi's thumbs start tweeting and his mouth starts speaking on the podcast, the jinx is real. Fachi is a Pacers jinx. These thumbs are active, but one man that I had been supporting from the very beginning, Jeremy Lamb, has scored in double figures in every game this year, and I love what he's bringing to the table. Jeremy Lamb, just a known Fauci guy. You know, just I got (laughs) him on the fantasy team. I've loved his game. Loved him back at UConn. Scooped him up in the fantasy league, and he has not disappointed. No, he's been pretty solid, and I think that his play has actually gone a little bit overlooked. You know, it really T. has. TJ Warren's finally broke out of his shooting slump since the Orlando Magic game, where he scored two points, I believe it was. Brogdon's been an all-star level player all year. Same for Sabonis, you know. And then it's been basically, oh, we're gonna rip on Turner because he's not putting up the numbers that we want him to put up, and lost on all that is Jeremy Lamb, and Jeremy Lamb has been possibly the most consistent pacer all season long. Jeremy Lamb is having a career year across the board. Career high in scoring, career high field goal percentage, career high rebounding, assists. I mean, this guy is playing very good basketball, and it is lost in the shuffle because this Pacers team is just so balanced and deep and I felt like Jeremy Lamb had the opportunity to have a career year, but I felt like it'd be more from a better shooting percentage standpoint, less scoring. Somehow he's managed to do both. Yeah, no, I mean, I've I've been so entertained by how he plays the game. Love the way he goes after rebounds. The anticipation on that steal last night in Memphis in the first quarter was just such a beautiful thing. Just the little things that he does, and he has gotten mm-hmm. better every single year. That's one thing when we talk yeah. to Spencer about from uh, the Buzzbeat Radio covering him in Charlotte the last couple of years. He said every single year Jeremy Lamb has gotten better, and I think that we're seeing it right now. And what's crazy is when the Pacers are fully healthy, he's coming off the bench. That player is coming yeah. off the bench for the Pacers. I know. It's such a luxury that this team has that I really feel like he can be a go-to scorer in that second unit. And we've seen the bench strong at times. We've seen it weak at times. A little bit of hit, hit and miss you know, over the last few games that we'll cover. But when you add Jeremy Lamb to that bench, I think you're going to be getting just an even more balanced team. And that's that's got to be scary for everyone else in the East and the West. Yeah, and I think you know one thing we'll touch on as we continue to talk about these previous games over the holiday weekend, the Jazz, the Hawks, and the 76ers. Um, I got to say, Aaron Holiday has not been shooting the ball well off the bench. He had one good game last week against Memphis, but pretty much since mm-hmm. that game in Memphis, his shooting numbers have been down. I'm not sure about the Utah game. I feel like everybody really played well in that game, but he didn't play well against the Hawks. He didn't shoot well against 76ers, and he was not very good against Memphis again last night going 3 of 10. He ended up getting 10 points, but if it takes 10 shots to get 10 points, that's not great efficiency. So honestly, like I, I hate to be the person to say this, but Aaron Holiday is going to be in a lot of trouble. Number one, when Edmund Sumner gets healthy and when Jeremy Lamb goes back to the bench. Yeah, you know, Alex, you, you kind of took the words out of my mouth because I, I was about to just say that I have the numbers in front of me. Since Brogdon returned, um, in the last four games, Aaron Holiday is 9 of 27 shooting. Just two assists, six turnovers, and three of 15 from three. Oof. It hasn't been That's good. That's not good. No. It has not. And that Utah game, he was one of six. Um, so he's seen his minutes cut by about 12 minutes per game 
since Brogdon returned. That Memphis game that you mentioned was the one game where he did play well with Brogdon lineup. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, since then, it has not been too good. Uh, I love what Holl- we've seen, the flashes of just brilliance of, of how good Holl- Aaron Holiday could be with this team. But, yeah, you mentioned you know Edmund Sumner, I would imagine, is going to be healthy probably pretty soon. It's been about a month. So I would imagine that if Holiday's already seeing his minutes cut down to right around that 14, 15-minute mark with Edmund in there, I mean, with Edmund Sumner back, that's that's going to shrink. It could be 10 minutes. It, some nights, I, I hate to even say it, I hope it's not none at all. But it's going to be tough. Well, and that's the thing, too. I mean, you've got – You've got so many wings on this team that are producing. I mean, there's no way you can take Justin Holiday out of the rotation the way this. No, not at all. And and McDermott's not going anywhere, and TJ McConnell's not going anywhere. McMillan loves his veterans, and playing Jeremy Lamb with those guys makes perfect sense. And so that's all I'm saying. I absolutely just hate to see it. I think I think there's a real possibility that Aaron Holiday could be an X factor type player off the bench if he could be more consistent. But it's just. Unfortunately, he's playing off ball. TJ McConnell mm-hmm. is the full-time backup point guard, and they have not really let Aaron be a point guard. He is being used more as a shooting guard, and that's what Jeremy Lamb plays as Edmund Sumner plays. So it's just one of those Completely things. Agree. He's going to be the odd man out. I think so. I just I don't want those words to come out of my mouth because I don't want to believe it. All right? Some of those <laughs> games, that, that two-game span you know, where he played so well against the Nets – and then the, the game winner against the Magic. I mean, that was like Aaron Holiday mania. But that that two game stretch was just awesome to see. Hope yeah. we see more of it. Absolutely. Well, let's take a quick break, Fachi. We'll come back and recap last week's games against the Jazz Hawks and 76ers. What up, everybody? Mike Fachi here. And if you haven't already checked it out, go to PacersTalk.net for the latest coverage on all Pacer news. We have game recaps, game previews, and everything you can imagine. Let's go Pacers. All righty, everybody. We are back, and we are going to recap last week's game. So, Fachi, let's start things off with the Utah Jazz. Really uh, the biggest game of the year up to this point. Everybody's healthy. The Jazz are healthy. Rudy Gobert was playing. Bojan's return. And, honestly, the Pacers just came out there. In their new uniforms as well, I should say, the city uniforms looked absolutely fantastic on them. And the Pacers were just on fire. I mean, so much balanced attack on that team. We had Domas Sabonis and TJ Warren both scoring 23 points. Malcolm Brogdon had 22 points. Jeremy Lamb at 18. And Miles Turner had three blocks in that game. Just exactly what you would expect from that Pacers starting lineup without Oladipo. Just love the way they battled against the, the Utah Jazz. What were your initial reactions to that game? Loved it. As we spoke about, that was like the big test so far. The Pacers didn't uh, they didn't necessarily ace the exam against the Bucks or the Rockets, but they came out strong against the Jazz. Uh, they they shot they were 52%. Healthy too. They were healthy, which was that was the most exciting thing. It got to a point where at first I was hoping uh, Rudy Gobert wouldn't play. Then after a while I went, no, you know what? Bring it on, Rudy. I guess we can take you down. I know we can. And the Pacers... Out rebounded them. They won the turnover battle, more assists, and they held the Jazz to 43% shooting. While, as I mentioned, we scored, we shot 52%. So it was just a game where the Pacers really dominated throughout. I believe they won every single quarter uh, throughout that game, and now they're undefeated against the West so far, four and zero. They've lost to the Rockets. Never mind. 
Okay, they are not undefeated. <laughs> they are four the and West. one against the West, which is still really good. And yes. you know, beating any Western Conference team is a big thing. You know, that Rockets game we should have a little asterisk by it because. Malcolm Brogdon went out in the first quarter with that back spasm injury that kept him out for a couple weeks. So, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, when fully healthy, I guess you could say this, Fachi, when fully healthy, the Pacers are undefeated against the Western Conference. So that's a, a much better statement. But, you know, regardless, true. Bojan goes off for 30 points in his return to Bankers Life Fieldhouse. I was a little worried about this happening because I was afraid Sabonis would be having to guard him because he would be playing the four. But I really like how McMillan used that cross matchup, put Boyan. Uh, put T.J. Warren on Boyan and then put Sabonis on Royce O'Neal, mm-hmm. making sure that he put one of his better wing defenders on a score like Boyan because Boyan's just been on fire for the Utah Jazz. Oh, he really has. And that's something that I feared. As I mentioned you know, uh, on the show last week, he's having a career year. And you just get the feeling that he wanted that win against the Pacers. It's just, I don't know, it's not like we treated him poorly or traded him or anything like that. But it just adds a little incentive. And Boyan went crazy. 30 points, 8 of 13 shooting. He's letting it fly from three. I thought you know, him and Donovan Mitchell played a really good game. Yeah. Other than that, I thought the Pacers kept everybody in check. As you mentioned, Sabonis on Royce O'Neal. O'Neal went scoreless. Um, so it was great to see Boyan. Obviously, I didn't like the, the specific jersey he was wearing that night. But, you know, always good right, to see right. him. Nothing but great memories. And just to go back to the starters for the Pacers, combined for 94 points in the game on 55% shooting. So that starting unit, exactly, that starting unit just really came to play. And uh, it was evident, a big win. I was happy to know that, hey, this this starting lineup of what it was supposed to be, they can play. Yeah, absolutely. And then let's just go ahead and move on to that Hawks game because, you know, it's Black Friday, it's – downtown uh, circle of lights they light up the monument circled christmas tree that's like pacers tradition the game was starting at eight o'clock instead of seven o'clock so an hour behind after thanksgiving meal you know just a game that you can kind of get overlooked you know especially when you're playing the atlanta hawks who had lost eight eight in a row at this point just a team that was not that solid but the hawks came in there and they almost got a w on the pacers home court to end that homestand so it was incredible to see the Pacers get that win in overtime. But, man, Fachi, Trey Young was on fire. 49 he really points. Was. He really was. I can honestly say I gained a lot of respect for Trey Young. I mentioned uh, on the show last week that originally I was a Trey Young hater. I, I thought that he was a chucker because he's a chucker. I felt like he's from deep. Watched him in college. A lot of turnovers, deep threes. I didn't know how it would translate. Trey Young's crossover buys him just enough space for him to get a good look what seemed like pretty much every time. Yeah. Trey Young, he hit 49 points on 16 of 28 shooting. So, I mean, that's that's lights out. Uh, I know the game went to overtime, but it was like, I think in the fourth quarter he had 22 points. Mm-hmm. And overtime he had about another, maybe another six. So Trey Young was really cooking as that game went on. And, and uh, the Pacers almost let one man beat them, and that would have been pretty rough because I don't think that the Pacers really got up for that game as much, whether it's any of the factors you mentioned there. You know, they shot probably close to a season low, if not a season low. Uh, they, just, they just didn't look strong. They played they sluggish. Over- they did. They did. They played sluggish, but I thought it was a good 
big battle tests. Like they were battle tested to say, hey, are you, can you grind out this game in overtime? Right. And it was great to see that they did. Well, and one of the things I wanted to bring up too was just the fact that this has been a concern of mine with Malcolm Brogdon. He is six foot six. He's a big guy. He's not the quickest on his feet. And we saw De'Aaron Fox in the preseason in India, you know, have his way of getting around Brogdon in certain situations. Mm-hmm. And Trey Young is a quick guard, like you mentioned. He's got such a quick crossover, quick shot release. Nothing against Brogdon because I think he's playing a great had a great season so far and he's playing on an all star level, but I do wonder that I do wonder if quicker guards are gonna give him problems. And that's it's, something it's definitely possible. And and that I'm not even sure what point guards right now currently in the Eastern Conference really have a quick point guard other than Kimball Walker that are going to make the playoffs. Yeah. So, you know, it's not something I'm too concerned about, but that is something that I think we should keep an eye on because there could be opportunities for Oladipo depending on how he comes back, how strong he comes back, how quick he comes back. Because when we saw Oladipo, I mean, that guy is so quick. He would mm-hmm. probably do a better job guarding the quicker guards, and then you can let Brogdon guard the two guard that's – you know, around the same size as him. Yeah, uh, it's definitely going to be something to to look into. I mean, obviously, it's hard to build your perfect point guard. I think Brogdon checks a lot of the boxes. A guy like Trey Young is just, he's pretty much doing it to just about everybody this year. So, I mean, he's having a great scoring year. I think he's probably, at one point, I know he was right around about 28 points per game. Yeah, he's so, fire. Yeah, he's still, he's still at 28 so, I mean, just uh, he's having a great year. But like I mentioned before, with the turnovers, the Pacers were able to force him into nine turnovers in that game. Yeah, so, uh, I mean, just a lot. I mean, the, the ball was in his hands all the time. So, mm-hmm. you know, it it's to. just they only could rely on one person. Exactly. That was him. And, you know, I, I think if we look at it, your guy Jeremy Lamb led the team in scoring that night. So uh, 20 yeah. points. You, you should have called it for that game. But, you know, it was just uh, – it was just – Really tough to see the bench play that game because the bench was so bad shooting the ball. I don't have the exact numbers from the bench, but it was pretty much the offense that carried that game. And every single person in the starting lineup besides Turner – well, not besides Turner. It was Brogdon Turner shot under 50%, but it was that was the Jazz game, I believe it was. The Jazz game, we had all of our starters shot over 50% from the field. And then come back against the Hawks, I mean, Sabonis and Warren were – 6 of 11, 5 of 11. So, yeah, that was the wrong stat. But anyway, I mean, they shot the ball well. The starters did. The bench did not. Justin Holiday, 2 of 7. McDermott, 3 of 8. Goga, 4 minutes, 0 of 1. TJ McConnell, 1 of 4. Aaron Holiday, 2 of 7. So, no production from the bench. It was a really heavy starter game. And once again, the starters were balanced. 17 points for Sabonis, 16 for Warren, 17 for Turner, 16 for Brogdon, and 20 for Lamb. So, really just... One of those games where I'm glad the Pacers escaped with a win. I don't really want to keep harping on this game because it wasn't that big of a deal. Trey Young was hot. Pacers couldn't stop him, but they ended up getting the win in overtime. Edge that game out. And then on a back-to-back, go and face the Philadelphia 76ers. And my goodness, Fachi, did the Pacers come to play that game? Oh, my God, they really did. You're always worried about a back-to-back. And Philly, they have had our number yeah, in the past. Uh, but I felt like the Pacers really came out shooting the ball very well. I mean, you're talking about 55. percent It's actually a season high. Uh, unfortunately, you know, we were unable to pick up the win. But I thought that the Pacers really came out strong. I thought that was going to be the game to beat Philly, and they had the lead late. But when you really look at it, the Pacers just 
on the offensive glass, I mean, just from an offensive rebounding standpoint, three boards, just 31 rebounds overall. Maybe that's because both teams shot the ball pretty well, but I thought the 31. That's definitely something to do with it. I mean, I couldn't believe the stat line from Embiid and Simmons not missing one free throw. I mean, how how does that happen? Unbelievable. I mean, that was clearly the difference. That was something I was going to touch on, that the free throw difference. I mean, the Pacers have been a team that has not been able to get to the line too much this year. They got 25 free throw attempts, but they only got 36. And in the end, in a close game, that did make some of the difference. I thought the Pacers, some of the stats I'm always pointing out, win the rebounding battle, win the turnover battle. Pacers had 19 turnovers in the game. So when when you lose by three, and that comes down to you know pretty much free throws at the end, when you lose it like that, it's the little things like if you can cut down the turnovers, if you can rebound a little bit more, or get to the free throw line. So, man, Alex, I thought this was going to be the time that we were gonna we were gonna get a win against Philly, especially in Philly where they're undefeated. That would have been a really quality win right there. Yeah, it was definitely a tough game to see the Pacers lose because they were back and forth with Philly, exchanging leads, you know, mm-hmm. and. It just, you know, Sabonis fouls out. It really just kind of disrupted the offensive flow of things. And Embiid's just a guy that's tough to guard. And it was kind of interesting and funny last night to hear Dan Burke talk about yeah, I love that. <laughs> the, the 76ers, where he basically just said, I hate that team. I think Embiid <laughs> yep. gets away with a lot of crap that, you know, he shouldn't get away with. And it was just hard to see that one slip. But, I mean, if you look at the numbers from our – you know, two main scorers all season long, T.J. Warren and Malcolm Brogdon. Uh, T.J. Warren, 29 points, 4 of 4 from 3. Malcolm Brogdon had 28 points, 9 of 15 from the field. Sabonis only took 7 shots, got 13 points, had 10 rebounds and 5 assists. And he was guarding Embiid the whole time. You know, he got yeah. he got hit in the head a couple times, too, by Embiid. Actually, one was called a flagrant foul. Uh, Jeremy Lamb was 5 of 9 from the field with 15 points, 4 rebounds, 5 assists. You know, just solid contributions. My guy, Justin Holiday, off the bench, 10 points, 4 or 5 from the field. Doug McDermott, 3 or 4 off the bench, 8 points. Uh, TJ McConnell was 3 or 5 in his return back to Philadelphia. He had 6 points with 3 assists, 2 rebounds. And then Aaron Holiday went 2 of 3 with 4 points. So, I mean, the guys were taking good shots, making good shots. The, just the one glaring line that people really pointed out in that game was the Pacers starting center, Miles Turner. One of eight from mm-hmm. the field, three rebounds, five personal fouls, three points, and I believe it was, that's correct, zero blocks. So, yeah, it was zero blocks. It was a rough and game it, for that, Turner. It really was. I mean, that was a game where the Pacers needed Miles Turner. I mean, he struck, I feel like he struggled against Philly. Like, I remember that last year, and this was, I mean, one of eight, that's tough. I mean, that's, especially when the Pacers shoot 55% as a team. You go one of eight. I mean, that's uh, essentially he was the only one who struggled. Uh, going back to Sabonis real quick, seven shots, it's not enough. I know he was in foul trouble. It's not enough. Well, the, the problem with Philadelphia, when we talked with Austin about this, and I think last night we saw a little bit of Memphis, how money he was from the mid-range, which we really didn't touch on, but he mm-hmm. had four or five good looks from the mid-range that he just drilled. He didn't really shoot a lot of those against Philadelphia. Yeah. And, you know... Philadelphia is long. They're huge. Mm-hmm. I mean, oh, they're very six ten. Tobias Harris is like six nine. Al Horford six ten. Embiid seven foot. It's going to be hard to score in the paint, you know. Mm-hmm. And 
him trying to post up Embiid, I mean, that's just a tough matchup. Embiid's just bigger than he is. Weight and height. I mean, what are you supposed to do about that? So I'm not mad about the shot attempts, especially with how effective Brogdon and Warren were being, and and even, even Jeremy Lamb. I mean, they all were taking good shots and hitting really good looks. So I'm not mad about the shot attempts by Sabonis, but I do think that he was a little sloppy with the ball at times. Too many turnovers there from Domas. Yeah, five turnovers, you know, it overshadows the five assists that he had. So the turnovers, if we could have cut, cut down a couple of those, I really think that uh, it would have paid off. Um, that was a game that, man, it, it really would have meant something right. to get that win. And uh, I'm looking at it right now. That was the only twice this year has Sabonis had less than 10 shots. It's against Philly and against Memphis. Now that Memphis game, the first one, he mm-hmm. didn't need – he didn't need more shots. It was <laughs> no. it was starting to become a blowout. But but I, I just always feel like at least ten shots for him. But yeah, I know we talked about the mid ranger yesterday. There's times it looked good. It looked yeah. good. And if he can get if he can get the confidence going for that, I think Sabonis is going to be a very dangerous player for many years. But well, yeah. Alex, when we're on the topic of confidence, you sent me something today from Bill Simmons. You want me to play it for you? Yeah, sure. Let's play it real quick for everybody. I had this quote about what it's like to break through as a player, and I just want to mention it because I think I think it's could be used with life, too, as a high school yearbook quote. Quote, we all know that this league is about confidence, and once you have it, you're a different player. That really is true. That is like the number one thing you need to know about the NBA because all these guys come in talented. The confident ones survive. So that was a quote from Dirk Nowitzki. And he had Mark Stein on his podcast for the Book of Basketball, just talking about Dirk Nowitzki and his entire career. But I just, when I heard that quote and I heard that confidence quote, I was like, I'm going to share this with Fachi because we talked with Al Jefferson. What was it mm-hmm. before the season started? And yep. what was his exact quote about Miles Turner? He was talking about the one negative knock on Miles Turner is that when his confidence is, is disrupted, he kind of shuts down. He takes things very personally, and it wears on him. And, and it seems like right when, right after the game, Miles Turner uh, deleted all of his social media, and I feel like he's hearing a lot of the outside noises and people talking about his game that I believe that it is bringing him down. Right. And, you know, it, it, it's tough. I mean, this is, you know, everybody knows what it's like when you got a, a hater or two tweeting at you and you want to answer him. Now, multiply that times literally a million. That's probably what Miles Turner's getting right now. It, it's <laughs> maybe, tough maybe because, thousands, but... Yeah, exactly. It's not a million. But, uh, you know, as we talked about, he has... he's It's a career low in usage rate right now. His shots are down. He's having to fall into, basically, like we talked about, like a fifth option on this team. And, you know, I, I respect it because you're not hearing him complain about it. But he's being the one that you're pointing fingers at when things are negative. And when things are good, he's not really getting praise. Well, and, I, and I've noticed even during some of their wins when he's been in the locker room, he's seemed kind of down on himself. Yes. And I've noticed that in a lot of his postgame interviews just doesn't seem too happy with the role that he has. And I think that him going to social media and taking everything down was partially because he's just tired of all the outside noise. And mm-hmm. honestly, I don't have any problem with that. Like he even came yeah. out and said that he did it for him today in an article on the Indy star, which I think, Hey, that's great for him. But if you think that the noise doesn't get to him, literally his bio on Twitter, well, his old bio said, shout out to everyone who said I couldn't. 
He yeah. he thrives Listens. in trying mm-hmm. to prove people wrong, and that's okay. I mean, that's good. If you want to use negative energy to make you positive, then go for it. I mean, I'll be honest with you, Fachi. I mean, there's people on Twitter that like to troll me and, and come after me, and I'll post something, and they'll tag their buddies, hey, just see what he said, you know. And, uh-huh. You know, I could care less, to be honest with you. People don't know who I am. People don't know me personally. I I enjoy doing the podcast, doing our website. I enjoy the Pacers. So I I do this as more of a hobby. I'm not making any money off this. I could care less what people think about my Pacers opinions because I am who I am and I'm going to be me. And if people don't like me, then they don't have to follow me. End of the discussion. Mm -hmm. And if people are going to constantly keep tagging me and stuff, all I do, I don't block them because I'm I'm done with blocking. I just mute them and I don't see their stuff anymore. And if they want to make fun of me with their friends and do all that, I'm completely fine with that. Have fun. Make fun of me. Whatever you want to do. You think my takes are bad? That's completely fine. That's your opinion. But, you know, what I can't stand is, is bullying people. And I, I'm not even saying I've gotten bullied. There are people that go to the extreme when they talk about people. And that's kind of what I mentioned because our, our good friend um, Alec Ramsey from the Indy Pacer was like, mm-hmm. shame on all you Pacer fans for going at Miles Turner. Look, if people want to be critical of Miles Turner's play, they have every right to be. I have no problem with that. That's called being a fan. And if you want to mm-hmm. be a fan and say, look, Miles Turner has really been struggling – I don't know what we need to do with him. Should we trade him? If you want to say trade Miles Turner, you're not being negative to him. But if you're going to sit there and say anti-homophobic stuff to him and stuff yeah, like that, that's, in a, that's inappropriate. That's considered bullying, in my opinion. And that's when fans need to realize, hey, you've crossed a line. You don't need to be bringing racial slurs into it, homophobic slurs into it. That is un- that's unacceptable. But if you're upset with the way your player's playing – then that's okay to be upset. I mean, I'm sorry for ranting here, but it's the same thing when Andrew Luck retired. Yeah, you can be happy for the guy that he made a decision about his life. But as a fan, you can also say, why did you decide to do it on the third preseason game of the season? There's, It's okay to have a different opinion. And I think some people are like, well, if they don't agree with my opinion, they're wrong. Look, sometimes there's more than one opinion or not. So I've, I've, I know people that are in my mentions that don't like Miles Turner. Then I have people that are in my mentions that love Miles Turner. It's okay. Mm-hmm. That's called being a fan. Yeah, no, completely. I know. I mean, you know, not everyone's going to agree when it comes down to sports. But as Pacer fans, we all agree that we love this team. So if we're being critical about his game, that's one thing. If you're going to take it to the next level and be personal, that's crossing the line. And uh, can't do that. So, Miles Turner, hey, a couple years ago when Paul George got traded, Miles Turner was welcoming to say that this is my team now. And he wanted to be that guy. They brought in Oladipo, and Oladipo ended up being an absolute stud and took over and just became the face of the team. And Miles Turner has kind of seen his role kind of slowly just, you know, lower and lower. It's, It's diminished. And now, unfortunately, he's fallen to about a fourth or fifth option right now. But... We haven't heard him complain about it, and I think that that's big. So, hey, it's important to get him out of a slump if he's in one or just kind of raise his morale. But I bet one thing, I bet he likes winning. Well, yeah, and and winning can cure all things, especially if he's doing what the team asked him to do. The guy is an excellent three-point shooter. Sure, mm-hmm. he, he had an air ball in that Hawks game, and people were ripping him for that. Look, oh these God. are players who hasn't had make mistakes. Yeah. Sabonis makes bad passes. Brogdon loses the ball off his leg. T.J. Warren 
you know, struggles when it comes to making a basket with this, with you know, time running out. He just, just sometimes this, there's things that happen, you know, and players aren't perfect. You know, we don't have a LeBron James or a Giannis on this Pacers team. We yeah. have really good players that are overachieving from what most people would have predicted them to be. So, my thing is, is whether you want to trade Turner or keep him, you know, him taking a break from social media, in my opinion, it's not a bad thing at all. And I personally think that some of us could take a break from it because I know people that get depressed by seeing other people's happiness via Instagram. Oh, I wish I had that life. You know, everybody's jealous of everybody else's life. Everybody feels like they can hide behind a mask and say what they want to say. Look, social media is what it is. Don't take it too personal. Don't take it too serious. It's kind of just how I feel about it because if you take it too seriously, then you got a problem, and that's when you need to get off. And I think that is probably what happened with Turner. Yeah, and hey, guys, it's not like he erased everything Pacers-related and kept the rest. He just erased everything he erased all of his photos so it's not like there's some cryptic meaning here oh is he getting traded or not no he clearly just needed a break and that all power to him i mean you know past basically 10 years ago there wasn't any social media going on you know 15 20 years ago it wasn't happening those guys made it just fine so i think miles turner is going to be more than all right this team is winning right now and you can't lose track of that because that's what matters most absolutely and, and malcolm brogdon has probably had conversations with a or with a turner because he's not on social media either i think he did bring his instagram back but he's not very active on it and it's it's probably just smart like lebron james does this every single time he's in the playoffs it's a little bit you know over the top because he has to make sure everybody knows what he's going on his you know Min- Zero Dark Thirty or whatever yeah, it's called. whatever it's called. I don't even remember. See, see, the problem was Turner just didn't come up with a cool enough name for it. You right. know, it, it, if he did that, then everyone would be like, oh, all right, well, that's cool. Yeah. But he just did it, and then yeah. people had a problem with it. And, and there's really no pressure on Turner to be some offensive threat this year either because he doesn't have to be. But I, I but you mentioned it, Fauci. He said that he was going to take over this team when Paul George left. Mm-hmm. Oladipo kind of stole that thunder from him. And I think yeah. from that moment on, that's where he's kind of lost his value with fans every season. It just keeps diminishing. And my my personal thing is Sabonis, you know, getting more touches, getting more looks. People like even I've done it, so I'm going to put myself in this category. Praise Sabonis, and in the same time while I praised him, I've put Turner down. Um you got Malcolm Brogdon yep. coming in, T.J. Warren coming in, all these guys coming in just continue to steal that thunder from him on the offensive side of the ball. I'm sure as a player I'd be frustrated too, especially uh, if uh, I felt like I was a go-to offensive threat. When Paul George got traded, I told my friend, uh, my old roommate, I said Miles Turner will be an all-star this year. I believe that. And it, it's it's not going to happen. I mean, it's not. It was At this point, it was two years ago. I yeah, thought that Miles Turner. Now. <laughs> I, it's not. I know. But I thought Miles Turner was going to take over that Pacers team. Now, I did not know how good we would be. It's the same year they were projected to win 32 games. But I thought that Miles Turner could be someone who would be putting up like 17 and 10, you know, just really kind of get as many touches as he wants. But yeah, as you mentioned, there's a lot of guys that got added to this team. And there is not, there's, no, there's only one ball. Right. So there's only one ball to go around. So it's guys have to take sacrifices. I thought Miles Turner did a great 
job of shifting from maybe wanting to be the franchise guy and an all-star to I want to be defensive player of the year. And I thought that was great. He found something that he's great at and tried to hone in on that and be the best at it. And I think that he still has that mentality. And make no mistake about it, Miles Turner's rim protection is widely known across the league as the best, if not, you know, top two. Uh, I mean, he's obviously the block's leader and is valuable to any team being able to do, you know, some three and D. Every team could use that. So we're blessed to have him, and I think that he's going to be more than fine. Yeah, well, I think we have covered this topic, you know, quite thoroughly, and we won't bring up the whole social media thing anymore. He's already addressed why he's not on there, and we'll just let him be. You know, I just want to see him continue to improve as a basketball player and help contribute to Pacers' wins because after these next couple of cupcake games against the Knicks and the Pistons, which I mean, it's not really a cupcake, but compared to who they've got the rest of December, you know, we need Miles Turner to be the elite rim protector that he is. So, Fachi, you want to take a quick break and we'll come back with our fantasy? Let's do it. All right, everybody, I'm here to give you our fantasy update of the week. We had four games this past week with the Galvanizing Goldens scoring 262, led by DeMontis Sabonis' 102.5, and the Ferocious Fachis scoring 269.5. We were led by Malcolm Brogdon's 95.5 and a balanced effort. So the Ferocious Fachis won this week. However... They only gained uh, seven and a half points on uh, the Galvanizing Goldens. We're going to need to do a lot better than that. That The updated standings are Galvanizing Goldens, 1,503. Ferocious Fachis, 1,196.5. Wow, Fachi getting the big win of the week. How you feeling, man? Feeling good over here. Small victories. You know, you win the battles, You know, keep them going. Eventually, you'll win the war. Who was uh, who was your leading scorer this week? Malcolm Brogdon, ninety five point five. Jeremy Lamb had seventy seven. Oh, wow. Miles Turner, fifty six point five. Look at that! What about the rest of my team? I know Sabonis was unbelievable, but Sabonis was. Then you had T.J. Warren at sixty two, and then there was a uh, up Justin Holiday at forty six. T.J. McConnell at thirty seven, and there was a solid drop off down to Goga at eleven point five. And your boy, TJ Leaf, with three. <laughs> Why is he my boy? <laughs> He's your boy. He is not my boy. He is. You're still worried about him getting humbled. Do you think him getting benched is humbling enough now? I hope. I hope. <laughs> you still <laughs> want to send him to the G League? <laughs> I do. I don't. Why? I can't be the only one who sees something wrong with that. I want to see TJ Leaf put up a 30-piece just in the G League. They can go down there and put up a 30-piece. and then He did. Come, yeah, and then he comes back and you know just looks out of place. A side note, Aaron Holiday tried to dump that ball off to Alizé Johnson at the end of that Memphis game, and you could just see the look in Alizé's face was, come on, man, don't charge me with this turnover. Like, I, you know, like, I'm barely getting any playing time. You're really going to just run me up for a turnover right now? But yeah. I was glad he didn't get that. Well, I'll I'll let you have this enjoyable 7.5 victory for this week. Looks like I've still got about a three. Well, how many points is that? I don't even know. 1503 minus 1196. What's the lead? A hair over 300. So it's about 303.5. Let me double check here. 
Yeah, three hundred six point five. So, and I'm going to be getting all Debo coming back here soon, Fachi. You're going to have to make some major ground this week. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll make, I'll make the ground up. All right. How I'll hard be sleeping is it on Edmund Sumner? How hard is it to see uh, Sabonis go off for my team and and crush the the, fero- uh, the ferocious Fachis? Kills me every night. Every night. That. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think if you just swapped Sabonis for uh, definitely for Miles Turner, this whole thing is different. But well, hey, obviously, you're gonna pick Turner first. No yeah. offense. No, no, that's fine. Miles Turner missed a lot of time, so missed dug me in a big hole. Sabonis missed some time, but the thing with Sabonis yeah, is he's involved so much, rebounding as I know, but exactly. Points. He's he's the, the perfect fantasy player. If he was getting a little bit more blocks, he would cover oh, every category. Yeah. Out yeah, there. He'd be in Yannick's so level if he was blocking shots. I got guys like Mick Buckets who literally uh, don't pick up a block or a steal for a full week. Yeah. <laughs> you know? but, but what are you going to do? What are you going to do? I know, Fachi. I know. Well, anything else you want to say before we wrap this episode up? No, other than let's keep these wins rolling. Six of seven. I got nothing to complain about. Alrighty, everybody. Well, you can follow us on Twitter at Setting the Pace Three. You can follow us on Instagram at Pacers Talk. You can follow Mike Fachi on Twitter at underscore F A C C I, and you can follow me on Twitter at Alex Golden NBA. And make sure you check out PacersTalk.net for all the latest content. So, until next week, peace out, Pacer Nation. Let's go, Pacers. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.